Warning, the 619 Crimes podcast contains topics like violence, drug use, and suicide. Please consider this while listening today. Thank you. Betty Broderick. 22-year-old John Ernest. 34-year-old Sean Nelson. Kara Knott. 16-year-old Brenda Spencer. 29-year-old Ali Nasser Abulabad. This is 619 Crimes Podcast, where every Wednesday, we bring you short crime stories that took place in San Diego. I am your host, Al Rodriguez. What's up, everyone? Today's case is one that I had no idea had ever happened, even though I frequent Escondido and Poway a lot. I had never heard of this case until a good friend of mine told me about it a few months ago. I'm sure a lot of you guys haven't heard about this case either, so let's get to it. Amber Dubois was a 14-year-old girl who lived with her mom, Carrie, and her stepdad, David, and a sister named Allison. Amber loved to read and she loved animals, so much so that she wanted to become a marine biologist. On February 13th, 2009, around 4 o'clock, David got home and realized that Amber never made it home. David knew something was wrong, so he drove to Amber's school, Escondido High School. There, they told David that Amber never made it to school that morning. So at 4.30 p.m., Amber's family reported her missing. At the time, Amber and her stepdad, David, had been having a lot of arguments because Amber would stay in her room and just read books and do homework all day. David didn't like that, so there was some tension between Amber and David. The cops right away started to talk to the kids in Escondido High. There was a witness that saw Amber in the morning walking to school around 7 a.m. Two other witnesses came forward that day and said they had seen her around school. One parent reported that they saw Amber walking in the rain after school that day. The parents said she was going to give her a ride home, but that her daughter told her to leave her alone because she was walking with a boy. At the school, they had cameras at the bus parking lot. When they looked at the tape, they saw a suspicious red truck that drove in and out of the parking lot many times. The footage wasn't clear enough, though, so they couldn't read the plates and nothing ever came of that truck. Back at the police department, the cops got statements from Carrie and David. David kept switching his story. He claimed he couldn't remember which way he took home. Carrie found that very odd. The cops also located Amber's biological dad, who lived in L.A. He was nowhere near Escondido, so he was ruled out right away. Two weeks later, the cops started to talk to all the registered sex offenders in Escondido. They all denied knowing anything about Amber. The cops started to put more manpower into the case after this. A month later, Carrie left David, and she moved out of their house. This made David look even more suspicious. Six months after Amber went missing, Carrie felt like the cops just weren't doing enough, so she hired a private investigator. She organized search parties and hired dog teams. On the first year anniversary of Amber going missing, Carrie even organized a walkathon at Escondido High to raise money to keep funding the search for Amber. 
Chelsea King was a 17-year-old senior at Poway High School. She was a straight-A student, she was a musician, and was an athlete too. Her parents, Brent and Kelly King, called the cops to report her missing on February 25, 2010. Her dad, Brent, called their phone company and were able to track down her phone, which was in her car, located at Rancho Bernardo Park. A lot of people go to Rancho Bernardo Park to walk the trails every day. All her belongings were in the car, and the car was locked, and there was no signs of any struggle or any break-in. The cops had a feeling that something was wrong right away, so they called in the homicide unit immediately. Just hours into the investigation, neighbors of Brent and Kelly started to organize a search party for Chelsea. One of their neighbors found the first piece of evidence. They were searching a trail with a dog and came across a bloody pair of socks and underwear. They were shown to Chelsea's parents and they confirmed they belonged to Chelsea. There was another search party two days later, but they didn't find anything that time. The next day though, on February 28th, there was heavy rain the whole day and the rain exposed a shoe and a sports bra that had been tucked into some bushes. Chelsea's parents wanted to see where the evidence was found. So they got with the cops and the detectives and they drove to the location. As soon as they arrived, the detectives got a call. The underwear they had found had two DNAs on it. One was Chelsea's blood, and the other DNA belonged to a man named John Gardner. They were able to match John Gardner's DNA from a sex offender's database. John Gardner was quickly located at a restaurant. As soon as he was arrested, the cops raided and searched three locations where they believed he lived and spent time. They were hoping to find Chelsea in one of the locations, but no signs of her in any of them. John Gardner was from Culver City, California. He was born there on April 9th, 1979. When John was still a toddler, his parents divorced. After the divorce, he lived with his dad, and they moved around a lot when he was a kid. They lived all over Southern California. When John was only six years old, he was put on medication. In 89, when he was 10, John was actually put in a psychiatric hospital for 60 days. It was believed that his mental health problems could stem from the way his dad treated him. His dad was very abusive towards John and his siblings. For his high school years, he lived in Running Springs, California. It's a small town close to Lake Arrowhead. He went to school at Rim of the World High School. His classmates labeled him an emotionally damaged person. John was responsible though. He worked all kinds of odd jobs while in high school. He even worked as a lifeguard at Lake Arrowhead one summer. When John was around 16, he and a few of his friends broke into a school and they got caught. John was arrested for trespassing, though he got a slap on the wrist. Despite this, he still graduated in 1997 with a 3.2 GPA which is twice what my GPA was in high school. <laughs> Just saying. John also had an IQ of 113, which is above average. Around this time, John was actually diagnosed with ADHD. So pretty impressive that he was able to graduate with that GPA. After moving to San Diego, he got a job at a big five sporting goods store. His life was pretty quiet for some time until he got arrested in Escondido for sexually assaulting and beating a 13-year-old girl. 
He had been convicted and spent five years in prison for the assault and beating of that 13-year-old girl in Escondido. The detectives also found that John was actually on parole and had actually committed almost 100 parole violations, which should have put him in prison, but no one ever checked. When John was arrested for the murder of Chelsea, they quickly found this out. In his interrogation, he claimed to have an alibi. He claimed to be working that whole day when Chelsea went missing. With no leads, the cops decided to analyze all crimes that had happened two years prior to Chelsea's disappearance. They came across a report of a woman who, while walking at Rancho Bernardo Park, was actually tackled by a man, but she was able to get away. The woman had moved to Colorado, but they contacted her, and the detectives flew to Colorado to meet with her. They showed her pictures of John Gardner, and she confirmed he was the man that had assaulted her. On March 2nd, 2010, they found Chelsea's body on Lake Hudges. John wasn't talking to detectives at first, but his lawyer did get him a deal with them. He would show them where to find Amber's body, but they couldn't use it against him in court. The detectives have no idea where she was, so they agreed. So on Friday, March 5th, 2010, John and the detectives drove up north on the 15 freeway to Pala Temecula Road. It's basically in the middle of nowhere. John pointed out an area that looked like it had been dug recently. They began to dig and they found a body. They were able to identify that it was Amber through dental records. Her parents were notified the next morning. Because John led cops to Amber's remains, the district attorney didn't seek the death penalty. John confessed to both killings, and so on May 14, 2010, he pleaded guilty to two counts of murder and one count of sexual assault. Judge David Danielson sentenced John to life without the possibility of parole, plus 25 years to life, plus 25 years because of the parole violations he had committed over the years. John is currently incarcerated at Mule Creek State Prison in Amador County, California, close to Sacramento. What's up, everyone? Happy Thanksgiving. To me personally, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. Family and good food doesn't get better than that. And I wanted to thank each and every one of you guys. This show takes a lot of work, but thanks to the messages I get from you guys, it keeps me going. So let's keep doing this. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. That was today's episode. If you would like to show your support for this show, consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That would truly, really help us. It would go a long way for a small show like this. Again, my name is Al Rodriguez, and this has been the 619 Crimes Podcast. See you guys next Wednesday. Peace.